Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Welcome to the Mystery to Me podcast. I'm Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And we love movies and television shows with a whiff of mystery. Mystery to Me will feature us riffing on murder mysteries, film noir, cozy detective stories, police procedurals, psychological thrillers, legal dramas, tales of teen sleuths, and more. Once we're done yucking it up about whatever we've just seen, we'll serve up our five-star final takes on whether it's worth your time. If you're offended by silliness, profanity, political asides, canine-related interruptions, and losers laughing at their own bad jokes, beware. Also note that some of the stories we'll be talking about are pretty dark, and in some cases exceptionally badly written. So content warning for murder, violence, suicide, torture, rape, racism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, and bigotry. If there's a movie or show you'd like for us to talk about, email us at mysterytomepodcast at gmail.com. Our show's take on genre is pretty loosey-goosey. So as long as your suggestion has some dash of mystery, we're interested in hearing about it. Spoiler alert! We're going to be discussing the entirety of this show or movie, spoilers and all. So if you want to be surprised press pause, go watch the thing, then join us for the show. Now that you've heard our spiel, go ahead and polish off those magnifying glasses and slip into your favorite trench coat. Let's get mysterious. watch on yeah <laughs> we just watched the hardy boys slash nancy drew mysteries and we watched the mystery of the diamond triangle now i'm sure Ep- season one episode four this is from 1977 folks to uh, be specific february 20th 1977 where were you on that day i'm sure the title must have referred to a very specific and very important plot point that was crucial in the storyline. Was that the case? Uh, uh, pulls at collar <laughs> nervously. <laughs> <Kevin>. <laughs>
<laughs> the title of the Diamond Triangle was the title of some sort of uh, award or something that would be bestowed upon a person who fulfills some uh, vaguely ill-defined flying feat, <laughs> which becomes very important for Nancy. This episode's about Nancy Drew. It's very important for Nancy personally to get this award since she since flying a glider is so terribly important to her and correct me if i'm wrong her flying a glider is a plot point that's never been mentioned before or since this episode they're always doing stuff with planes so I'm, I'm i'm not a plane head or a glider head what what is a glider a plane i got no idea I, yeah I, I don't give a damn Wow, okay. I'm glad you're bringing that uncaring, cold energy to this episode. And as long as we're talking about the the, uh, the glider being a big well, plot point, I, I just, yeah. just want to say that if you want to watch a lot of tedious footage of <laughs> a glider going through the air, this is the episode for you. I, I've seen people film love scenes featuring their wives or girlfriends a lot less sensuously than these endless flying scenes. You've seen people do that? You've been like in, have you been like on the production set? I'm confused. I had a life before I met you. <laughs> you just go into people's houses and watch them make sex tapes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's called networking. <laughs> it's called being a good friend. Yeah, and you know, that is how we met. <laughs> I was the wife. <laughs> Good lord! Yeah. Well, maybe before we get too much into this diamond disaster, um, what what is the central? Well, first, let's talk about the show. The uh, the Hardy Boys slash Nancy Drew mysteries uh, was it was a show that ran in the seventies, very popular. Featured. It wasn't really that popular. It was pretty popular. It wasn't that popular. What do you know? I was there. Yeah, but you were just dicking around reading Superman comics. What do you know of this? Typically, if a show is very popular, it's not on Sunday nights and it isn't canceled after a couple of years. Well, it remains, there's fans to this day, so. There's fans of any piece of oh, shit. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> you love this shit. Stop acting like you're some cold observer. I'm just saying, I don't think it's fair to call it popular. Oh, what fuck? Kevin, go fuck yourself. Diamond triangle, di damn you to hell. <laughs> Now let's. So basically, every episode for the first two seasons would alternate between um, the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew, two Stratmeyer syndicate creations that were invented in the 1930s and uh, or, or the 1920s, I think, in the Hardy Boys case, and you know continue to uh, you know milk content out of those uh, characters to this day. But this uh, this episode's about Nancy, as Kevin mentioned, and what is the central mystery to this episode? kind of start things off uh while nancy is in her glider she witnesses a car accident and later there's no evidence that the car accident actually actually occurred all right so car accident mysterious nobody believes nancy it's a cassandra situation so what did let's let's what did we talk what did we think about this episode uh it wasn't very good yeah <laughs> So uh, let's maybe maybe it'll and, and sometimes some of these Nancy Drew episodes they're not very good but they're still entertaining after a fashion. I think you really enjoy some of them. Yes, I did not enjoy this one. Yeah, there, there's ones that are. I mean, I think there were ones that I would dare say it 
are good. You know, they're cheesy. They got the 70s nonsense. They got the cheese. But there's something to them that is compelling. And it keeps you kind of watching and wanting to see what happened next. This one, it, it, it kind of got boring. It glided off the path. <laughs> I think it's just there wasn't really a central, like, you didn't really feel like the central mystery was that important. And you kind of just got, much like George trapped in the in the second seat of the glider, you kind of just uh, were along for the ride in a way. Yeah, and, and, and we're pretty upset about it. Felt nauseated. <laughs> Uh, and I guess there were some little mysteries too. Uh, so Nancy, Lancy's flying a plane with uh, her friend George, and then they're met on the ground by Ned, and it's raining. And then we we cut to uh, the three of them at the Nancy Drew household where her father is present, uh, and they're wearing like robes because you know the clothes got wet. And uh, Ned inexplicably is wearing, a, you know, kind of a fluffy pink effeminate robe. Although I'm not sure why he was. It's because, sort of like yours. Because Carson <laughs> uh, drew Nancy's father was there, and I'm sure he had like a robe that Ned could have borrowed, or or clothes Ned could have borrowed. It wasn't necessary for Ned to wear this effeminate pink robe, other than just to. Uh, Kind of humiliate the character. Yeah, this 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 series does not, at this point, have, I have a very good grasp on what to do with the character of Ned, who, of course, for all the fans of the books, you'll know is Nancy's boyfriend. You know, it, it kind of makes him a, a bowl-cut nerd who's always telling Nancy, now don't you go looking at any mysteries. And, you know, it's and that's not what, fun. That, that's what little girls like. Yeah, they, they like to think of men as uh, telling them not to go out and have fun. Patronizing, you know, she's solved like a ton of mysteries at this point. You know, like she's well known for it at the start of the series. So you'd think at a certain point, even if a, a, a you know a potential love interest was worried about her decision making, he wouldn't be so condescending in terms of communicating to her because he'd at least be like, "Well, you've done a lot of good for the community." <laughs> so it, it, it's it's kind of. You know, I mean, like, listen, I'm a sucker for like the nerdy boy character who kind of is, you know, secretly in love with the with the you know the main character, but like, this ain't it. It doesn't. It's just I, a wet blanket. He, yes, he, uh, he he makes me look like Vin Diesel. <laughs> what the fuck? Well, you're not a, you're not a jerk. He's kind of like one of those nice guys, you know, like he's like, oh, I'm such a nice guy, but like, but he's kind of an asshole. I call him Nerd Nickerson. <laughs> And I don't call you Kevin Geekly. <laughs> well, not anymore. <laughs> not after I got to know you. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 pretty lame. And and later on, later on, they do replace him with uh, <laughs> the guy who wrote Jesse's Girl. And then they cancel the show. And then they cancel the show. But they they uh, what's his name? Rick Springfield. Rick Springfield. That Ned. Mm. He has some sparks with Nancy. He's like a pissed off working class Ned, and it works much better as and, a partner and, for Nancy. And it's ironic because Rick Springfield, I guess, is arguably a nerd since he's a big collector of Star Wars toys. There you go. Where can we find a Ned like that? <laughs> the producers asked, and then Rick Springfield bursts onto the scene. That's right. Yeah, I think one of the problems with this episode is Ned features a lot in it. You're constantly seeing Ned, and it's like this character's kind of a slog. 
Yes, and it's also unclear. He seems to be living at the Drew house. Yeah. Is that normal for law- for established lawyers like Mr. Carson Drew, Nancy's father, to not only... I mean, it, what I was thinking is, what is this, the 1700s? I'm going to take on a, a maybe a law stu- school student or like a legal aide, and he's going to board with my, my lodgings because I don't want him to stay at the local tavern with all the rowdies. I mean, this feels like something that would be in like Colonial Williamsburg where you have your apprentice live with you for, for seven years until they take over your practice. It's just so odd. Wouldn't you be worried about sexual abuse? I, <laughs> yes. <laughs> there you go. This raises a lot of questions. I don't understand it. I don't know whether he's supposed to be a law student or his assistant. I mean, especially since they, they make him wear this pink robe. Does, like, Carson want him to dress like that? They Nancy came down with a normal robe for Ned to wear, and Carson was like, stop, stop, stop. No. Wear, wear this one. <laughs> and everyone got really quiet. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a strange setup. And, like, how wet... Would my clothes have to be for me to put on a, a pink robe and stand in front of the fire provocatively like Ned was? Pretty pretty damn wet. Yeah, like, how do they coax him out of his clothes? Or was he just coming in and just kind of taking them off? I mean, I don't know. I And I just think it's, like, stupid. Like, like it's, like, this, like, weird, like, creepy humor around, like, ha-ha, a man wearing girls' clothes. Like, it's, it's just, like, ugh, I don't know. And if he was living there, wouldn't he have another set of clothes there? And if he's not living there, why doesn't he just drop the girls off there and then go to his own home? <laughs> You've raised it. This is a mystery. This is a mini mystery. This is the real central mystery of this episode, I think. There's something weird going on here. Uh, speaking of law stuff, I remember once when I was in law school, a bunch of people were out for like lunch over the lunch hour. Huge storm happens. Everybody gets drenched. We have to go back to class. We don't put on funny clothes. <laughs> I imagine everybody silently filing in, all wearing the same exact pink fluffy robe. Like, like a, a clown outfit with the makeup and the wig. Well, that was actually just you. They tricked you into that getup. <laughs> they said, Kevin, this is, the, this is perfect for you. Clothes dripping wet, but people were just like, get some paper towels, dry off as best they can, and then sit and go about their lives. Yeah, like, you know, I feel like old-timey things, like old-timey media in general, makes out having wet clothes to be, like, this big... I mean, maybe it's because, I don't know, like, healthcare in the past was worse, like, and, like, you might die of a cold. I, I just... I've gotten, I've gotten like, wet, or, you know... Let's, let's cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's staying in. I've gotten, I've gotten rained on, and it's... You know, it's unpleasant. It sucks. It might be nice if you have a change of clothes at work just in case. But, like, you're not going to die. Just get over it. So, yeah, if you, if you go to work and you have, you're have you going to be hanging out with your boss and maybe the boss's son, who maybe you have a little bit of a crush on, <laughs> let's just play along with me here. How, how soaked would you have to be to wear something humiliating? Yeah. <laughs> I think I'd have to have, like, gotten my clothes torn off by like a saber-toothed tiger somehow because wouldn't you think that your boss and the person you have the crush on if you wear something humiliating they're going to talk about that forever yeah yeah that'd be your new nickname around and he's the office standing at the fire really proud looking which like yeah. good for him if that's his thing but then he actually embarrassed about it so it's like you know what if that's 
you just want to wear like a woman's robe, maybe you're kind of into that, fine. And everyone's making fun of him. It's like, ugh. And then like a police officer comes and he, he makes no effort to hide or say, excuse me, while I go put on something more presentable. He just, he just stride, he just struts over. <laughs> I, I'm just going to say with the, I think the police officer where was where I where I realized this episode's gonna suck because I just something about this character really irked me. It just comes in and is like, "Hey, what's up? Whoa, you you reported a car crash, but we didn't find the car." It's like, oh, just shut the. F-. Like we know Nancy's gonna turn out to be right. We know we the audience saw the car crash, so we know she's correct. So the police officer says, "So Nancy had asked Ned to call in the 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 car crash." And so now this police officer is coming in and saying there was no car crash. Therefore, we're going to arrest Ned. And Nancy says, well, wait a minute. I was the one that saw it, which is like a pretty good point. But they say, yeah. And then they ignore that and then they haul Ned away. Yeah, it just stuff like that just strikes me as irritating when it's like if you're going to have the police not believe Nancy, you know, you could ratchet up the tension by having that be an obstacle that she has to overcome in order to make this investigation work. Right where the police are throwing roadblocks, you know, quite literally in her in her way, but instead it's just a one-off gag where Ned gets hauled off, and it just kind of feels like kind of mean and kind of like whatever. Like, what does this add? Yeah, Ned did nothing wrong. Yeah, and like I just, and why are you making me defend Ned? Right, you know, like I just this his character is kind of lame in the first place, and it's just I don't know. It's just like you, you like you know the story beats that they're gonna hit where it's like Nancy's gonna say something. That she's gonna be right. No one will believe her. She'll investigate and and she'll figure it all out. And all the adults in the town will be stupid and like, oh, we didn't know. And it's like, you know, Nancy's literally like solved all the crime in town. You know, like the police solve rate is like zero percent, and Nancy's is like a hundred percent. And like, I I hate when when like shows make a thing of like, oh, but the authorities that never solve anything are always doubtful of this character's methods, even though they constantly solve everything. It just, that's not realistic, and that's just annoying. It's the nature of the beast of episodic uh, television that's formulaic, because in real life, characters would grow and change, but if they do that on television, they would change and not be what people expect. It's like on the X-Files, Scully was supposed to be the skeptic, and so she's always skeptical, even if, after five or six years of working with Mulder, she should have yeah, really- yeah, but like in this case, you don't have to have the police come in. You could just have a throwaway line where they say, oh, yeah, the police took down the report, but they, they didn't find anything. Like you don't have to have the... You need stakes. Yeah, you, like you don't... Ned's life is on the line. Oh, jeez. Ugh. So meanwhile, so yeah, end up uh, Nancy and George also don't find anything when they investigate because this is a closed road. It's been closed for a year ever since the old bridge got washed out. George is a total 1990s kid because she uh, looks around and immediately thinks that the car must have gone down with quicksand. <laughs> That's where we are. She's a 90s kid in the 70s. Uh, and so I want to mention at this point, Nancy is the pre-internet age. So Nancy goes to the library and apparently the library has a big book of old cars or something because she pages through it and she figures out what make and model of the car this car that she saw briefly from a height of like a thousand feet, she identifies it. And she then contacts, I believe, was it an antique car society? Mm-hmm. Apparently the antique car society has detailed records of who owns every conceivable make and model of car in the country. And that's very important. And then by the way, forget it later. 
Also, I want to point this out, but I'm just going to spoil the episode. Turns out Nancy did see something, and it's a it's an antique car theft ring. And it turns out that somebody is behind this, somebody with access to all that information. Oh, was it somebody with the Antique Car Society? No. Hmm. And and but not even that. Like fine, maybe maybe you maybe you you don't go anywhere with that. But like at least have that be in the consideration because they're they keep trying to figure out who could who could this be? Who could be who? They gave you this car society gave you everybody's addresses. They're clearly not very secure. <laughs> so the information is there right for the picking. Anybody who wants it can go to this antique car society and get all this information. Some like elderly. 80-year-old named Jim will sit on the phone and be like, okay, here's only here's their social security number. And it's like, what? Like <laughs> and so yeah, a big mystery is who who could have gotten this information? Anybody could have gotten the yeah, information. Yeah, it, it kind of throws things into a loop. If she had said, I have a source at the car society, and like maybe that would imply that he only gave her the information. He wouldn't just give it to anybody. But she acts like, oh yeah, I just called and got it. No worries. Like it's 411. It, it's pretty strange. So she finds out that there's like only two in the county. One of them is owned by this teenage boy named uh, Morgan. And she goes to see Morgan and the car was recently stolen. And so then they all go to the insurance agent. They take her father with them. So it's Nancy, George, Nancy's father and Morgan go to the insurance agent to try to collect a claim on the car. And... If you've ever had an experience talking to an insurance agent and trying to get them to file a, trying to get them to pay off a claim that you think you're owed and they don't they don't want to pay it and you've gone through that experience and you thought well gosh I'd really like to relive this then this is the episode for you because this, <laughs> this this the scene where they're trying to get this insurance agent to pay off this claim yeah it just went on. It went on, on for a long time. And on. It wasn't the least bit interesting. And you could have you could have done it in a more interesting... I mean, double indemnity made insurance interesting, right? I'm sure there was a way to do this that was a little bit more interesting. But instead, it was just kind of like you're sitting there. You feel like you're trying to get your claim, you know, accepted. <laughs> so, yeah. It was, they're talking about receipts. It's like, oh, my God. They were talking about... They well, were if talking. you file a, an 072, you can... Uh, put your receipts on there when we can give you more money back and it's like oh my god and it was a ham-fisted way again to try to create stakes because nancy likes this guy morgan and they oh they said oh, not only was morgan's car stolen but maybe it wasn't really stolen maybe he's committing insurance fraud and if he is he's gonna go to the pokey Jesus. and even carson who yeah tell us about carson as a lawyer in this episode carson in the books is supposed to be this like titan of legal minds in the whole river heights area he's he's the he's the lawyer he works for the railroad company i mean it's just evil I mean, but he's very powerful and and you really don't like the william Schaller portrayal in general because you find him kind of like you know kind of soft and kind of like mm. but in this he's pretty he, bad as a lawyer in general. he's very bad as a lawyer uh, he basically accepts the fact that his client is guilty. And not only does he believe his client is guilty, he talks about how his client must be guilty in front of the police. In front of a judge? <laughs> he says it in front of a judge. Uh, when his client says, no, no, I'm not guilty, Carson like sighs and says, oh, you know, you really are guilty, son. The evidence, Listen, is, all son. <laughs> the evidence is all against you. You better plead guilty. 
at one point he gets him out on bail and he says well you know in order to get him out on bail which is a routine matter i had to put my entire reputation on the line even though i believe he's guilty and so do the police <laughs> what does this even mean <laughs> What does this mean? You, if you're a defense lawyer, you don't have to take the case, right? And how is he putting Unless his you're rep- public defender? How is he putting his reputation on the line? Yeah, and it, like we we, didn't, we never really know what Carson works on. We never re- and this is true in the books too. We never really understand what kind of lawyer are you? Are you a defense lawyer? Are you a lawyer representing local business interests? Are you a lawyer representing like corporations' interests? Like what? How? What kind of law do you do? And in this case, it's like, I guess this is his pro bono work, but he's really screwing this guy over if he's just like, I mean, this must, I mean, this has to be a violation of client attorney privilege, right? Could you, could he be disbarred for saying, yeah, my guy's definitely guilty at like a hearing? Could you, or would you get like suspended? I feel like you should get in trouble for that. It's also unclear what Nancy's role is because then she begins acting. Like, she is basically Carson's investigator. So if she was investigating this case and found out that Morgan was, in fact, guilty, would she then not tell the police? What happens when defense attorneys, investigators find out the information that the person is guilty? Do they have to hand that over? No. No, they could just sit on it. If you're the prosecutor... You have to do discovery. Yes. Yeah. But doesn't the defense have to do discovery too, to a certain extent? No, they they do have to reveal what they're going to argue. You you uh, generally you tell what your you don't even have to tell what your theory of the case is. You have to give like a list of what your witnesses are, and what your exhibits are. Okay. Crazy. But you know, if if your client uh, says, "Oh, I I did it," you don't have to say, "Oh, guess what, prosecutor, my client confessed." And you should certainly shouldn't stand there with your hands. Underneath your suspenders, uh, yucking it up with the judge about how guilty uh, old Morgan is. And you also shouldn't, like, bully your client into... He's really condescending to his client. It's like, okay, son, whatever you say. It's like, don't call me son. (laughs) It it was very... Yeah. I felt bad for the the teen in this. Well, see, I I wish I I felt bad for him. I, I didn't care. Well, you know, I'm just meant like if you were in that situation where no one believed you, including your own lawyer, you'd be pretty fucked. It, it was also a case in in this episode where there were a number of times people complain, oh, yeah, you know, I guess I'm going to go to jail or whatever. And they don't really sound all that upset about it. Yeah, it's like this was an inevitability. I felt like I felt like this kid had like some sort of meth lab in his house and he was just glad they found I'm just glad he was getting railroaded over the car thing instead of finding out his real crimes. And and he discovers the car is stolen when Nancy is there and, like, asks him to open up the garage. And he opens up the garage and sees the car is missing. And it's like, you know, I think if if you uh, opened up something and saw something was missing, you would uh, display some emotion, some shock. I'd be cursing, kicking the barn. Stomping your foot. Yeah. Uh, you would just you you would be like taking your hat off and throwing it down yeah, the throwing <laughs> violently. You'd probably just be curling up into a ball and crying in your pink robe. <laughs> but Morgan just kind of uh, 
says, oh, the car is missing. Oh, this is this is bad for me. You know, like he didn't really seem to have much emotion. Aw, oh, nuts. Now I have to do one over. <laughs> nuts, sister. Now how am I going to make the dough to go to college? He, he didn't even sound that exasperated. He was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, man. Eh, let's, I guess, you know, going back to old Ned. He, she, he and Nancy go in the plane at one point. What 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 inappropriate thing does he start this scene off with? He so he and Nancy decide to go up in the glider together, and Ned's going to fly, and he explains that he's going to be the pilot because he needs more stick time. <whistles> what, you some kind of a pervert who's obsessed with sex? <whistles> you're the one who wrote this down, baby. I don't know what you're talking about. And then also, you're always asking for some stick time. <laughs> we we have a, a friend who does a podcast we enjoy whose last name is Stick. Oh, or or his podcast. That, that could be the name of his podcast. Stick free time. Br- free free branding idea for for Mister Stick. Uh, and then also inexplicably during the sequence, uh, Ned is doing the glider. Um, you keep saying glider. <laughs> Isn't it just a plane? They call it a glider. Okay, I'm... Okay. A glider just sounds like something that you'd, like, do on vacation, like, going off a cliff, and then you land on the beach or something. What's the difference between a glider and a plane? I'm going to look it up. And while you're looking up, I, I just wanted to mention that when he's flying this glider, he's not wearing his glasses. He says he doesn't need to. Oh, no, 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 you're right. A glider... Oh, what a shock! Kevin is right. Yeah, it is shocking, because you don't know what... You're out of your depth... You're out of your depth, buddy. Um, a glider is a fixed-wing aircraft that is supported in flight by the dynamic reaction of the air against its lifting surfaces. Uh, the free it does not have an engine, so it's uh. It, See, I was paying attention. That's old Wikipedia for you. But as I was saying, Ned chose not to wear his glasses, and there's lots of gags about how poorly he sees. Now, uh, therefore, how dangerous it is to be up in this glider with him. Like Nancy's, like rolling her eyes. And why have this whole comedic... Actually, it's not very comedic. If you were, like, driving with me... If you're riding with me and I'm driving without my glasses, would that be, like, a lot of laughs that just shows what a quirky character I am? Or would it show that I'm just dangerous and unsafe to be with? (laughs) I guess I just feel like... I feel like this whole episode, like, I feel like every other scene was like, why didn't they just cut this and do something else? (laughs) Like, you know, like, most, I feel like a lot of, like, a lot of things might have, like, one or two scenes like that, or, you know, like, once in a while you'll hit into that, but this, just, like, every other scene was like, nah, this should have been scrapped. (laughs) Um, What do they see when they're gliding around the forest? They see a man down on the ground who has a walkie-talkie, which appears to be larger than the glider. He's just going to swat them down with it. It's huge. It's bigger than Zach Morris's phone. Is that a Saved by the Bell reference? Yeah. <laughs> and a pretty apt one. I, I, I like it. That's a fun show. And then, of course, Ned starts like freaking out, and so Nancy takes control of the plane from him. also want to point out, just, just one more dunk on Ned. This guy wears a jean jacket. A jean jacket, a denim jacket, and jeans. A Canadian tuxedo to work at his law office? What kind of operation is Carson running? Carson says his whole reputation is staked on this case. 
I think his whole reputation is already shot if that's what his fucking legal interns are wearing. This is ridiculous. You call that a Canadian tuxedo? That's what it's called. You're like slandering our Canadian brethren? A Canadian tuxedo is a colloquial term for wearing a jean shirt or denim jacket with jeans. (laughs) Uh, Oh my God. What? You're going to feel like a big idiot. (laughs) That's what. (laughs) Wikipedia says the term reportedly originated in 1951 after Mr. Bing Crosby was refused entry to a hotel in Vancouver, British Columbia because he was wearing a denim top and denim bottoms. So, you ought to know. Okay, so basically, I don't know. Let's maybe let's break down the crime and get out of here. Let's glide out of here. What's the crime here? Well, first of all, we had to how, how on earth are the uh, bad guys, is it, like you say, it's a car theft, right? Yeah. So how are they getting the cars across this bridge? The bridge has been washed out for a year, and they, I guess they didn't have the resources to rebuild this bridge, Very this poor. vital infrastructure. How are these guys getting the cars across this washed out bridge? There, It's infrastructure week in River Heights. No, no, no. The, the bad guys are actually doing more infrastructure for River the River Heights area. Than the local government apparently, because they're putting boards, they're they're making a you know kind of an Im- impromptu bridge that they can kind of yeah because the down. washed out bridge is like it's washed out a length of like maybe a foot, maybe two feet at most, mm-hmm. and so they take the sign that says this bridge is washed out and they lay it across the gap in the bridge and they just drive over it. Yeah. So okay. why has this been? Why haven't they rebuilt this bridge over the last year? I why? Don't, I don't understand. Why? Why? I don't know. I don't work for, for River Heights local government. Yeah, you do. I'm the mayor of River Heights, bitch. <laughs> and I say that road's toast. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's like your big dream, isn't it? To be the mayor of River Heights? <laughs> no. <laughs> to call all the shots. I'm going to I'm gonna unhook my Anya Kane for River Heights button from, <laughs> from my lapel <laughs> and covertly slip that in my pocket. What would be the first thing you would do as mayor of River Heights? I would make Nancy probably the police chief. What about poor chief colleague? Maybe he needs to tend to his farm. In Wither Sergeant Tweedy. Kevin, that's the wrong wrong Nancy Drew franchise. That guy needs to be fired. I think you'd be a great Mayor Kane. (laughs) I think the power would go to my head. You'd be like a dictator. Like a Castro jacket. <laughs> put put River Heights under martial law. <laughs> I mean, think about it. When you think about it, there's a wave of crime. You know, all this crime. It's like it's like uh, Cabot Cove in the Murder She Wrote franchise. People are getting. I mean, there's there's art theft rings. There's various kinds of smuggling rings. There's people smuggling shit and paintings. There's people smuggling shit and statues. There's, uh, I mean, most of it's smuggling, actually. Uh, you know, the art heists. There's, there's people uh, abusing uh, the trust of elderly people. Uh, there's kidnapping constantly. I mean, it's... It sounds it's, like the town needs the well-known, firm cane hand. Yeah, I need to get in there and clean it up, frankly. Because something's wrong here. This is a little, I mean, I think we're, 
we this debate about where River Heights is, but I, I'm pretty sure people have said it's probably the Midwest. This is a small Midwestern town. You know, it it should not be running like fucking 1930s Chicago. I mean, this is this is ridiculous. Should you be, would you be like a fascist leader? Yeah. No. <laughs> no, I'd be like a. Like posters of your face. I'd be like a, I'd be, Anya's watching you. No, I'd be like a, like a like a scary uh, communist because <laughs> it's always like it it it's it's bad. It, it's a bad scene in River Heights. There's lots going on, and the only one. I mean, obviously, I mean Chief Colleague seems like a nice guy, but either he or his men are on the take. Because why is an 18 year old girl able to solve all these crimes and? The police with a budget, you know. This, they, this River Heights makes a good case for the defund the police uh, argument, seems like. Because it's like the police are just sitting around. She's the one who's figuring out what's going on and who, who the con artists are. Uh, I, I'd vote for you. Well, thank you. A radical new vision for River Heights. Would it be like the last ever mayoral election? I think once you're in power, I don't see you letting yeah, it go. Yeah, just... I, well, I couldn't because I, you know, I do so much. You know, I... I you know, once once they clean house, then I'm then I'm uh, I'm, I'm toast because they're gonna figure out what I did to get power and can't have that. So then I would become what I ran against. Wow! Damn, it's tragic. Yeah, this is so tragic. So then, would like a new generation would have to rise up to depose you? I think Nancy would have to come in and investigate me. So you start out being Nancy's ally. Yeah. You take over, then she realizes you're you're corrupt. I'm like Two Face in Batman. I'm like well, this is off, like Shakespearean. Yeah, I start off as a good guy, and then uh, someone throws a little acid in your yeah. face. I go, I go nuts. <laughs> you love this, <laughs> crazy Annie. Who would you be? Would you be my like Toady, or would you? <laughs> what would you be doing all throughout all this? I'd be like Smithers on The Simpsons <laughs> to your Mister Burns. Just terrified of making you angry, <laughs> rushing to fulfill your every wild whim, mm-hmm. no matter how insane it was. So, like you are now. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds pretty good. Because you're the mayor of this house. <laughs> I think Lanny might be the mayor of this house. Or is Lanny just a figurehead? <laughs> you have all these posters of yourself all over the house. Yeah, I mean, but they look pretty good, I think. Anya's watching you. I just don't want you to forget it. I'm being helpful. It's a reminder. I think you went a little bit too far when you had that statue put outside with the eyes that look like they're following you wherever they go. <laughs> Some neighbors did complain, but uh, hopefully they just get used to it. I also apologize. I know you were pretty embarrassed by all those those statues that have your face, but like a cherub's body or like a little fawn. <laughs> I know that wasn't your choice, but... Uh, I think they look pretty cute. <laughs> Back to the episode. So, yeah, so we we said the insurance agent was the bad guy, right? No, we didn't. Okay, well the spoiler insur- alert: the insurance agent's the bad guy. He gets cases. I mean, how would they not have figured this out already? Also, like every single car that that you represent gets stolen immediately. Like that's not going to raise any fucking suspicion. See, why would he do that? Because it would seem to me that if you're an insurance agent, you'd probably have access to the complete files of the agency, maybe even in other areas. So, you know, couldn't he have cars stolen from, like, 
other cities? Maybe maybe he did, because they didn't say they were all represented by this guy. They said they were all represented by this company. So maybe. And one of the, one of the roughs, one of the tough guys that works with him, of course, is Uncle Leo from Seinfeld. Oh, that's funny. I didn't even notice that. So that was odd. That is odd. And one of the cops on the show was Mr. Carlson from uh, WKRP in Cincinnati, so, who oh. also molested Dudley on Different Strokes. What? It was a very special episode of Different Strokes where uh, Gordon Jump molested Dudley. <laughs> Let's move on. Like, not in real life. It was like... The, the, he played, oh, yeah, it was a very special episode. He played an actor. Yes, okay, yes. yeah. Okay. He wasn't like he actually did that. No, no. Okay, well, you said it in such a nonchalant way. I don't know these ancient sitcoms that you watch. <laughs> it's not ancient. It was only 40-some years ago. These archaic rites. <laughs> You've never watched Different Strokes? I've never watched Different Strokes. Not even once. Not even once. What you talking about, Annie? Oh, Jesus. I knew that was coming. <laughs> but it still hurt. Um. What, okay, I guess basically we're at the end of it. Are we? George and Nancy go exploring the woods to figure out what's going on. They get captured by this chop shop antique cars ring. Um, oh, and, you know, it's like, yeah, the, the reason the antique cars ring works is because they're, they, they, they find a buyer first and then steal the car to order. And then Ned tracks them down. Also, that doesn't seem like a sustainable business model. Like, how many, how, I feel like you need to make... This, they have, like, a warehouse in the middle of the woods with a ton of mechanics lolling around. So, like, to pay off all those guys and make sure this was running, you need a pretty huge scale of, you know, like you, you need a lot of cars coming in. And I just don't see how relying on one agent's, you know, information to get this done is is is, is going to be running this level of uh, a car ring. And especially when it's made to order, like you really rely, I mean, how much is the demand at this point? If it's made to order, does that mean there's like a network of people who are aware of this organization? Oh, if I want this car, I can contact this fellow in River Heights and he'll steal it for me? Yeah, if anybody, if anybody they sold to is vaguely honest. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure the antique car community is not huge. So if their buddy you know, a few towns over, got his classic whatever stolen, and then you happen to get one with a different make. But the guy who sold it to you was kind of sketchy. You know, maybe you would maybe you would start wondering and start asking questions. Also, if, like, your friend has a car stolen and then he sees you shortly thereafter driving a car of the same make, is he going to put two and two together? It's a small community. Yeah, because you would say, hey, Bob, where did you buy that? And I'd be like, oh, uh, it's kind of kind of guy kind of came and kind of was saying he could get me one well mine was stolen a few days ago like oh okay like like you would ask questions if a rare comic book was stolen from a collector and then shortly thereafter it appeared on the market that would attract attention in the community yeah yeah talking about ned uh tracking down uh nancy so ned uh finds him goes home he he uh he knows that nancy wanted to go looking in the woods, but then he was sexist and was basically like, you can't do that. You're a girl. Yeah. Girls can't like hike or be around trees. So he's correct. But then he comes back and she's already gone, you know, and then he finds the map that she kind of did a triangle around to figure out, you know, so she, he, he tracks her down, but he can't get a hold of her on the CB radio. I guess they all carry CB radios. Like they're truckers in an old movie about truckers who take on corrupt law enforcement or something. 
Breaker, um, breaker. Yeah, they're all on the CB. <laughs> Phantom 409. Smokey's coming. Teddy bear. <laughs> yeah, if only Red So Vine was on this episode. Yeah, that would have been that would have been more fun. Um, but then Carson comes back and Ned is talking to him on the CB radio. And so everyone gets their shit down to this woodsy warehouse and figures it out. And uh, Ned comes in. How does Ned sneak into the premises? Uh, Ned sneaks in by carrying tires that are only slightly larger than his glasses. <laughs> He's got big serial killer glasses. He has huge glasses. That's probably why you took him off on the plane. Pardon me, the glider, because if he wore the glasses, I don't think the glider could have been airborne. Kevin, I got some bad news for you. They look like your old glasses. No, my glasses were not nearly that big. <laughs> they were along the same lines. These glasses, I covered his entire face. Everybody's dad had these. Everybody who has a glasses dad, dad had these glasses at this time period and had them for like throughout the 80s. They're those kind of glasses. I've seen people wearing... Uh, glass face covers in the era of COVID. They're smaller than these glasses. <laughs> in spirit, you're right. Yes. <laughs> and then, of course, there's a big rumpus. They're all running around this abandoned car warehouse. Well, yakety sax place. Yeah, li- might as well have been. And then the cops, the cavalry comes in. The cops burst in. Everybody's arrested. And, of course, uh, Carson is there, too. And he inexplicably has his client, who he believes to be guilty. <laughs> Morgan, come along for the ride. You can identify your co-conspirators. And then there's an odd moment that you thought was the end of the episode, but it wasn't. What no. was that moment? Um, What was that? Uh, basically, Morgan's sad because they torched his car to, you know, get, uh, throw them off the trail. And then Nancy's like, don't feel bad. You should get the reward. And, and Morgan correctly, aptly says, I didn't do anything. And Nancy says, but George thinks you should get it. What, what is George, like the local magistrate? I don't understand. <laughs> so it kind of ends anticlimatically. But then there's another scene. Oh, yeah. The, the, it keeps gliding. It, it keeps gliding. Keeps gliding forward. Um, N- Nancy has suckered George into going on the glider again. She's going for the di- diamond triangle once more. This is her big moment. And then they see a flashing light in the wilderness. Oh, some fella must be up to no good. It's starting again. Do you have any final thoughts on this episode, Kevin? No, I do not, Anya. Yeah. It was pretty it was pretty blah. Is that fair to say? Yes, it was not good enough to be entertaining and it was not bad enough to be morbidly fascinating. It was just a colossal waste of time and uh I bitterly regret watching it. Oh, geez. That's pretty harsh. I'd say that this episode ends up looking more like a misshapen lump of coal than a diamond triangle. Thanks for listening this week. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kevin T. Greenley, who's no relation to me. He's the guy that composed the great music for this podcast, and you can find him on the web at kevintg.com. You can follow us on Twitter at mystery to me. That's mystery underscore two underscore me underscore. And at mystery to me podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And you can always send us recommendations and feedback of any kind at mystery to me podcast at gmail.com. 
We're not teens setting up Hotmail accounts in the early 2000s, so all of those spell out two as T-O. Thanks Thanks so so much much for listening. listening.